number 190623, a year with the church fathers. Approach scripture with humility. St. Augustine discovered the scripture when he was a young man. He didn't like them. He'd been studying the elegant works of the great Latin writers. Much later he realized that you have to approach scripture with humility, and only then does it reveal its most sublime truths. So I resolved to turn my mind to the Holy Scriptures to see what they were all about. There I saw something not comprehended by the proud, nor revealed to children, but humble as your approach, sublime as you go on, and veiled in mysteries. I wasn't one of those who could enter into it or bend my neck to follow its steps. I didn't feel the way I do now when I turned to those scriptures. They seemed to me to be unworthy of comparison with the dignity of Cicero. My puffed-up pride shunned their style, and my wit wasn't sharp enough to pierce their inner meaning. They were writings that would develop in little ones, but I scorned to be a little one, and swollen with pride, I considered myself a great one. St. Augustine Confessions 2.5 In God's presence, consider, when I read the Bible, do I begin with a humble and open mind? Closing prayer. Lord, open the hidden things of your law when I knock. Perfect me and let me understand the obscure things in your word. Through the year with Thomas Merton. Music of Silence. Music is pleasing not only because of the sound, but because of the silence that is in it. Without the alternation of sound and silence, there would be no rhythm. If we strive to be happy by filling all the silence of life with sound, productive by turning all life's leisure into work, and real by turning all our being into doing, we will only succeed in producing a hell on earth. If we have no silence, God is not heard in our music. If we have no rest, God does not bless our work. If we twist our lives out of shape in order to fill every corner of them with action and experience, God will silently withdraw from our hearts and leave us empty. No man is an island. Magnificat, June 2023, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your clunic and your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow the gospel of the Lord. Meditation of the day. She who always gives to those who ask. Mary is most ready and profuse in opening her treasures, dispensing her riches, her gifts, her graces, to him who calls upon her 
and has recourse to her in all his wants and necessities. How many humiliations, petitions, memorials, and intercessions, how many months and years are required to gain some favor, some help from men? And you may congratulate yourself if even this suffices, and you be not spurned without obtaining anything, as but too frequently happens. But not so with Mary. All have most prompt access to her. The noble, the rich, and the poor, the just, and the sinner, the miserable, afflicted, the weak, the sick, the outcast, condemned and infamous, the living and the dead. At all times, at every moment, she hears all, receives all, encourages all, grants all petitions, consoles all, and most abundantly distributes to all her graces, gifts, and benefits. A sigh, a glance, a word is sufficient, and she immediately comes to meet you to offer herself to you and to pour into your bosom all her treasures. You will find her ever ready to help you, says Richard of St. Laurent. She has not the heart to keep you waiting even a moment, burning with desire to do good to all. She does not delay and cannot restrain the torrent of her kindness. Eager to do good, she knows not delay, nor is she a miserly keeper of graces. The Mother of Mercy knows not slow delays when she's going to pour forth the treasures of her beneficence upon servants, says Novarianus. The Holy Evangelist St. John saw her fly to the desert with wings of an eagle, and there were given to the woman two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the desert. Revelations chapter 12 verses 14. The flight of the eagle is most swift, and the symbol is well suited to the mother of beneficence, because she does not run, but flies with a velocity surpassing that of the very seraphim to the help and assistance of him who calls her in the desert of miseries. <clears throat> Golden Nuggets, number one, from God's Little Book Instructions, one, two, and three by Honor Books. Guilt is concerned with the past. Worry is concerned about the future. Contentment enjoys the presence. Not that I'm implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am in. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. The second golden nugget, inspired by Psalm 50, chapter 14, or chapter 50, verse 14, I'm sorry. Some people are always grumbling because roses have thorns. I am thankful that thorns have roses. Offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Golden nugget number three, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5. The next time you feel like complaining, remember that your garbage disposal probably eats better than 30% of the people in this world. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Chesterson day by day. 
Herein lies the peculiar significance, the peculiar sacredness even, of penny dreadfuls and the common printed matter made for our errand boys. Here in dim and desperate forms, under the ban of our base culture, stormed at by silly magistrates, sneered at by silly schoolmasters, here is the old popular literature, still popular, Here is the unmistakable voluminous, the thousand and one tales of Dick Deadshot, like the thousand and one tales of Robin Hood. Here is the splendid and static boy, the boy who remains a boy through a thousand volumes in a thousand years. Here in mean alleys and dim shops, shadowed and shamed by the police, mankind is still driving its dark trade in heroes and elsewhere, and in all ages, in braver fashion, under cleaner skies, the same maternal tale-telling still goes on, and the whole mortal world is a factory of immortals. Charles Dickens. A Reflection The monk once inquired of Passius the Great, Father, speak to us a word of salvation. How should we live according to God? The elder replied to them, Go and keep the commandments of God and preserve the tradition of the fathers. The tradition of the fathers is the experience of the saints in the spiritual field, the enormous experience of nearly 2,000 years, the experience of many hundreds and thousands of holy men and women. What an extremely rich depository of wisdom. What an immense mass of proofs of every truth of Holy Scripture, all that wealth, all that wisdom, all those proofs, all that experience, the Protestants have rejected. Oh, what inexpressible madness! Oh, the poverty of beggars! C.S. Lewis on Prayer As a young boy, Lewis mistakenly was taught that prayers offered in faith would most certainly be granted. Naturally, he therefore worked very hard to produce, by sheer force of will, a firm belief that his prayers would produce a certain predetermined result. When this unfortunately failed, he worked harder to ensure that every single word of his prayer was sincere. The burden of this particular practice was largely responsible for his having abandoned faith altogether. Fortunately, as an adult, years later, he returned to Christianity, articulating the newness of his prayer understanding. Lewis made a distinction between contemplation and enjoyment. He recognized contemplation on the one hand as being what is done, rather than thinking about something from the outside, while on the other hand, enjoyment as being what is done when we are fully immersed in something. With this understanding, he painted an analogy helping with the differentiation. Lewis suggested to imagine being in a dark shed with a beam of light coming in through a crack in the door. By doing so, contemplation could well be understood as that of looking at the beam of sunlight coming in. The beam is contemplated because in essence, it is being viewed from the outside. Enjoyment, on the other hand, is like stepping into that beam of sunlight and allowing it to rest on our face. 
so that we can look along the beam through the crack in the door to the world outside. Lewis therefore suggested the necessity of viewing along our prayers being prayed to God rather than merely looking at our prayers. Consequently, to experience prayer, it necessitates not merely focusing ourselves and the intensity of sincerity of our prayers, but rather to fully immerse ourselves in the experience of our prayer and cherish factually that the Holy Spirit is speaking not only through us, but also for us with Almighty God who loves us. By doing so, we are urged to enjoy our prayers and not to merely contemplate them. Lewis had been greatly inspired by Romans chapter 8, verses 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we would pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. By means of his mature thought, Lewis therefore understood prayer less as a man speaking to God, but more as God speaking both to and for man, and thereby man learning to participate in the divine circle of God, creating, redeeming, and sustaining the world. Ancient wisdom for today's world. A mother dies many deaths. It is difficult to avoid sufferings in married life. The wife, even though she will only have to die once herself, is still afraid of many deaths. Though she has only one soul of her own, she is deeply concerned for many souls. She is afraid for her husband. She is afraid for her children. The more the family tree has blossomed, the more the fears increase. If one of her family suffers misfortune, such as the loss of money or an illness, she is desolated and more agonized than the victim herself and himself. If all the rest of the family leave this life before she does, this is an intolerable suffering for her. If death has not taken its toll of them all, the fact that any of them is left is certainly a consolation to her, but a consolation imbued with anxiety. The fear that troubles her for those still alive is no less than her grief for those who have departed this life. Indeed, although it may surprise you, her case is even more desperate, for time softens the grief caused by the death of her loved ones, but anxiety for the living never ceases. John Chrysostom on Virginity 56.